All right, folks, what's going on? Hope you guys are having a wonderful week. This is another solo episode, and this is a lot to unpack in this episode. One of them is um, the, I teased to it earlier on what I would announce later, and I think that it is time to do so. I think it's safe to do so. And so uh, the long and short of it is I bought another parcel this past summer, and I'm going to talk all about it, the process. Holy cow, it was a very interesting transaction. I jinxed myself. We were about two weeks out from the closing date, and I said, man, this is probably the easiest deal I've done all year. Uh, you know, since it's my own, and I could control what I could. And then it took a wild turn. It turned into a, I don't even know if wild goose chase is a fair way to describe it, but we're going to break down that story, what I learned from buying that parcel, and <clears throat> just, I think, a lesson that could be uh, transferred to a lot of other people. Also in this episode, I shot a solid buck off of my home farm, my new house, uh, right out the front porch, which is really cool. Um, so I guess just to kind of dive right into that, I, um, I've been bouncing around a lot and th this farm kind of to what I expected ne necessarily did not have the biggest deer that I had on camera this year. However, in some of these other farms, they the deer just were not cooperating. They weren't there. And I felt that, hey, this is a, a solid deer that I'd be happy to shoot. And I actually saw him Sunday evening and uh, extremely vocal and uh, grunted him in from about 200 yards on the other end of the food plot and came like charging across while I went in the neighbors, grunting up a storm looking for the doe. And then he was at 60 yards feeding the food plot and... I wasn't comfortable shooting that far, obviously. And then the next morning slipped in. It was a east wind that evening, Sunday night. And then during the night, it switched to west. And then right at first light, it looked like it was switching back to east. And I actually had a stand set up for that. And so I slipped into this bedding area. It's a bulletproof stand um, for an east wind. Fantastic access. Very easy to get to. Um, pretty much the way this property lays out, like not going to get winded in this, uh, in this location. And then about, uh, 15 minutes after first light, I hear a buck grunting and mind you the day before he was extremely vocal. Um, one of the most vocal, it was so cool. I've never had a buck be that vocal before. And then, uh, so I heard him Monday morning and, uh, he read the script that exactly what I anticipated came up, followed one of the old cattle pasture fences and, uh, hooked down into the bedding area and I had a chip shot and smoked him. So that was really, it was really cool. It was something really special. I, I went in there, <clears throat> it was raining one day and I was working and it was like noon. I was like, I have to go in there and look like I'm dying to look in there just the way it pinches down. And it was absolutely tore up, uh, with rubs. And it was like, Oh my gosh, a whole bunch of hot sign, put a cell camera up. There's some nice bucks cruising through there. And this was one of them. And, uh, I think it could be this one of those little pinches that will produce every single year, or it'd be a great place to get inventory. So, um, as I've been sitting out there in the stands, I, my brain is always running on regardless of what parcel I'm hunting of like, man, I wish I could do this. This would have make this place not better, this, that, and the other, but Holy cow, there's a whole level of other uh, additional level of peace when you're like, man, I, I can actually do that. This is my ground. I can actually make those improvements. I can actually make this place hunt better than what it is today. Um, <clears throat> so that's something that has me really excited. Still have another buck tag and, uh, just excited to get out there and start, uh, continuing to chase. I've been still hunting quite a bit. Um, don't necessarily plan on taking another buck off of the home farm here, but if something shows up that, uh, changes my mind, um, 
I have the right to change my mind. So until then, uh, we're going to be hunting here and uh, have a couple other bucks that I would like to target but are not going to be as easy to shoot as what that buck was, uh, just the way things laid out and uh, love it when a plan comes together. So um, talking about another thing here too, um, just left an auction yesterday. There was an auction here nearby, went to it. It was a really large uh, estate. It was a trust. There was three tracks and as you're listening to this, depending where you're where you're at, and um, land has, we've been talking about land has just seen an incredible run, and it still hasn't stopped yet. So this parcel or this three track auction, uh, first first bidder gets uh, bidder's choice on what track to pick, and so there was a basically just shy of an 80 tillable. There was a 158, basically all tillable, and then there was another 158 that was mainly timber. Uh, of that 158, about 82% of it was timber, so about 30 acres roughly was um, was tillable dirt, and it'd be it was not good dirt like the other ones. The other ones were um, uh, floating in the low 140 pi's, like 141, 142, if I recall. So as I'm there, um, and I'm kind of I I texted a buddy of like this is what I think these will go for. Oh my gosh, blew all of them out of the water. So that first 80 went for $16,600 an acre. Um, a lot of active bidding on the floor. Next one was a 158 of all tillable. That went for $14,100 an acre. And that's a lot. That is a giant track of tillable to go for that price and premium. <clears throat> I've seen some other parcels go for 15 an acre um, quite a bit. And uh, there was even one that went for $19,000 an acre. And a lot of it's just adjacent owners, to be honest. So it's not necessarily investors uh, from what I could tell there. And then the timber track. So if you would ask me what that parcel was worth uh, 18 months ago, I would say $4,500 would be probably the realistic value of that. If you would have asked me yesterday before the auction, I would have said right around 51, 52 would be pretty realistic. And then, believe it or not, that went for $6,000 an acre, mainly a timber track. Um, absolutely insane, incredible. There's a couple other auctions here in this area. I'm going to be curious to see what those go for and see if that price is starting to solidify. I think most nice recreational parcels are, are creeping into that $5,000 an acre very easily. I haven't seen much... <laughs> As we'll talk here today, I've only seen a very select few of parcels go for in the threes around here, and then most of them are mid to high fours, and then there's you know some floating in the low fives now. But for basically a pure recreational parcel um, to go for six thousand dollars an acre, and that's it was not a flat timber track too. There was ravines and gullies. There was some flat uh, oak flats on there, but regardless, <clears throat> glad I went to that because it was. Uh, it felt like someone sucked all the air out of the room after that one for six thousand dollars an acre because it's like oh my gosh this is this unprecedented um so that was very interesting and i was talking to a banker and i was kind of you know i've, I've said on this podcast i always i would love to hear people's opinions on what they think is going on i think the easy things to say oh it's going to crash because this is madness i'm starting to wonder if these prices are solidifying like i've mentioned before and then uh the gentleman i was talking to he was thinking like, okay, well, obviously his vested interest is uh, being a banker to, for the economy to, to do well and everything else. And <clears throat> he shared um, the M2 supply, which is basically the amount of money, uh, public money, I guess it's technically private money, 
like basically all your money that could be liquid. So like your savings accounts across the country, um, checking accounts, CDs, anything that could be liquidated promptly. And it's called the M2 supply. And if you go to, um, there is a, if you just Google it, you can look at the chart and you can see that historically there's just been more and more money supply coming up, um, in the general public of America. But then right when COVID hits, that thing just shoots straight up. And right now there's still so much cash sitting on the sidelines, even today, so much cash. Like, um, for example, right February, 2020, and this is in billions. So there was $15,470 billion on the sidelines. And then right now, September 2021, there's just shy of $21,000 billion on the sidelines, cash, ready to roll. And I think that that has a lot to do with a lot of these real estate prices running up. Money is still cheap. And I don't know. It's it's very interesting. I talked to another farmer this week, and I said, man, you've been in the farming for a very long time, what do you think? He said, well, I think the interest rates are going to creep up and I think we're going to see something like the eighties. Hard to say, but all I know is if you own ground, it's a great time to own it. If you're buying ground, the, uh, the targets moving quickly, uh, very quickly. <clears throat> it's, um, just interesting. It's just best way to say it's interesting. So that was pretty fun. Timber track, $6,000 an acre. So now let's see, we discussed shot a buck. Um, disclose I bought another farm this past summer, actually before I bought my new house. And real quick, Illinois shotgun season is coming up this weekend. So if you are out, best of luck. It looks like uh, here on November 17th to tomorrow, which would be the Thursday, the day before shotgun season, we have 20 degree temperature drop. And I've actually had a lot of really good hunts the day before shotgun season. So I'm going to be out um, trying to uh, hopefully buck out before shotgun season and then um, be back at it over the weekend. So anyhow, best of luck if you guys are out uh, and if you're listening to this from Illinois. And then, okay, let's dive into this. So you may be thinking, how in the world? What's going on? Well, I bought a farm. Um, the story for this parcel actually starts summer of 2020. There was a big deer that showed up on the internet and I was like, oh my gosh, that is a beautiful deer figured out where the picture was taken from. And if you're listening to this, you're probably, uh, you probably have done something similar. Uh, that's why you don't post giant deer on, on the internet because people figure it out. Um, so then I figured that out where that was at. And, um, I did have access to ground near that. And when I say near it, I mean miles away. And I jokingly told my dad, I was like, would you crap your pants if that deer showed up all the way over here? And this was in like August or September with, and I would, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would be better off to go buy lottery ticket. Sure enough, I got a video of that buck on a scrape in the middle of the rut. Uh, it was actually November 12th <clears throat> and he was in there for five days roughly. And it was all night pictures, small parcel and, you know, about fell over when I pulled that card. And so <clears throat> this deer once he's dead, I'll share uh, more details on this, but just an, an incredible animal. And I thought, man, that is a once in a lifetime opportunity to even hunt a, a deer of that caliber. And so there was a parcel that I kind of anticipated would be going up for sale before long. And I had some clients that were looking in the market and I actually, this parcel that I knew that would be coming up to market to where the 
summer pictures of this buck were taken and where his sheds were found and basically much closer to his home range than where I already had access. And so the interesting thing is I knew this parcel was coming up for sale. I knew it was going to be priced, priced well. I mean, it's for a lot of people, it's not a very desirable parcel. Uh, there is, in my opinion, building potential and beyond that, there's also, um, really great trophy quality of whitetails. Um, not very easy ground to hunt, but regardless, uh, as a whitetail fanatic, that's all I really cared about. And I think a lot of the clients I work with are whitetail fanatics as well. And so I said, Hey, this is an ugly piece of ground, but I promise there is some top tier animals running around this neighborhood. And here's an example of one, the fast forward, (laughs) no one wanted to bite on it. And in the meantime, I couldn't afford it that early spring I could, but gosh dang it, it'd be, um, putting it all on the line basically is something that I wouldn't necessarily, I could do it and it could work out great or it could be a total nightmare. And I didn't want that. Um, I didn't, I wanted it to be a blessing and not a nightmare. So I still discontinued to diligently save as much money as possible in the meantime, thinking that, Hey, this isn't listed quite yet, but I know it's going to be, um, and so I'm still helping clients try to navigate like, Hey, you should try to buy this long story short, everyone passes on it. And then, um, I was actually in Ohio for summer meetings with Exodus and it hit the market. And I remember when it hit the market, I saw it on the internet and I felt, I don't even know what to say, what it described. Cause I've, I've thought so much about this parcel and it, it hit the market. I just, <laughs> Someone might might laugh, but it, it felt like a a death to someone close. I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is kind of awful. Like I'm not gonna be able to buy that parcel. And then I ran the numbers. I talked to the banker as soon as I got back from Ohio, and I was like, hey, this is this is where I'm at. Is this realistic? Beyond if if the numbers work from a from a, a mentorship standpoint, does this make sense? And he's like, yeah, you could you could totally do that. I think that makes sense. Of course, the banker wants to lend you money, but um, you know, he said, no, I think, I think this, this makes sense. So at that time I'm approved by this parcel. It's a, it's a pretty good size track. And so I walk it and then, um, I'm like, okay, I, I'm getting ready to buy this. And I, I tell my dad, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to put an offer on this, uh, come walk it with me. And you know, let me know what you think. I'm, I'm buying it, but I figure I might as well walk it with me. And so in that meantime, too, I told him about this parcel. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. That looks ugly. Uh, it's this, it's that, yada, yada, yada. And when you drive by, that's a very fair assessment. And so, but when you walk it, it's absolutely gorgeous, and it feels like you could hold some big deer. And so then I go and walk it. I think it's like a Saturday or a Sunday. And um, I walk with my dad, and he's like, man, I, I – I really like to, I'd really like to, to buy this with you. And now in the world of real estate, I don't necessarily believe in buying parcels with other people. I think that there's, uh, it could work great. It could work perfectly, but at the same point, it could go into an absolute terror nightmare. It could just be awful. And there's partition suits. There's this like a lot of things that can go wrong when you buy something uh, with someone. And even if it's family or a friend that you've had forever, I, I personally don't advise for that. Now, the interesting thing about this parcel was there was already two tax pins. And so basically it was already parceled off into two. I had two different tax IDs. 
And so I was like, okay, well, that would be great. That'd be cool. But I really want to buy this by myself. And I tell you what, there's a lot of struggle here. And the only reason I'm sharing this is because I think someone's probably thinking, well, how could you do all this? Um, you have a silver spoon or, you know, someone helped you from the way you're saying it. No, I, I haven't had that type of help, but I tell you what, I've had so many people believe in me over my, over the short time of my career already. Um, I have never done anything alone. I work with the team at Exodus. I work with sellers and buyers in real estate. I have people believing me, trusting my opinion and, you're darn right. I think you're foolish if you think anyone ever does anything by themselves because this world does not work that way. And, but there was an ego thing of like, well, I want to, I wanted to buy this whole thing by myself because I wanted to say I did it all by myself. And so I battled that for about a day, probably closer to 48 hours. I battled that. I was like, should I just try to buy it all by myself or should I try to buy it, uh, by the, by the one of the pins and have my, uh, mom and dad buy the other pin. And I battled back and forth and I finally landed on, I was like, well, it's mitigating some level of risk. If I was going to have a neighbor, I would probably pick, <laughs> I would pick, uh, my folks to be a good neighbor. And I was thinking, well, that frees up some capital for if another opportunity comes along. And that's kind of what I landed on. I was like, if someone thinks that uh, it's less, it's less, uh, impressive or whatever. I didn't really care. It mattered that was locking up that parcel and, uh, mitigating risk. And then still having that parcel hunt as one track, but basically cut it in two. So, and the other, the other blessing of it too, was that it was already in two pins. So it was very easy to write the purchase agreement of this is buying one pin, buying the other pin, two closings, one parcel, and two different loans, you know, basically two different purchases, but one track. And that's how that works. So hopefully that makes sense. And then we move forward in the closing, everything's smooth. We have actually talked with, um, the, the selling agent who I've worked with a lot and uh, knew of the actual seller too. And, uh, the banker knew the sellers too. And I was like, Hey, can we just have a little bit extra time to put this deal together instead of a 30 day closing? Can we do uh, 60? Yep. That's no problem. So in the meantime, everything's going smooth and, uh, then it's getting closer to closing and I'm, I'm rooting around on the internet because this, this area is really cool, um, for a variety of reasons. And I was on a website called mapright.com. And basically what MapRight is, is it's kind of like an onyx except more for real estate. It has all the parcel and for information it has, but then it has like soil types and it has, uh, FEMA floodplains, uh, state government ground, federal ground. And then there was one tab that I clicked that I found very interesting. They had a protected lands tab. Okay. So mind you, this is, uh, I closed on this parcel, I think August 16th, I was 26 years old. Uh, so I, I turned 27, like the week after. And so it was supposed to close even before that. But so we're, we're down to the wire. It's like a Wednesday we're supposed to close on a Friday. And then all of a sudden I call my attorney and I'm like, Hey, I, I found this. Do we know anything about this? And basically what happened was I found that this place was protected of some sort at some point. And so I'm doing the homework and trying to figure out what the heck's going on. It was, um, and it came up on all these other websites of legitimate government databases that this ground was protected for a variety of reasons. And so my mind's spinning. I'm like, 
you know, I don't want to buy a ground that has restricted rights on it. I don't want to, like, if I want to put a pond on it or if I want to uh, build a house or if I want to sell it and someone else wants to build a house on it, like, that's going to greatly diminish the property value if you are restricted to do a lot of these different things. Can I put food plots on it? Is it actually federally protected? Now, mind you, in the world of COVID, I feel like no one ever works at the office. And so, I get on the horn and I'm checking all these different databases and I'm trying to reach out to all these different people and I'm going to take a quick break and, and organize all these notes. All right. So as I was digging it up, the map right showed that this property was a conservation area with restricted access. And as I'm thinking like, holy cow, that's not a good thing. And so then I go through and I go to a website called protectedplanet.net. And then I type in and I find the area on there as well. And it says uh, type terrestrial protected areas and it is a conservation area. It's a class 5 IUCN management category, status designated, uh, type of designation national, all these different things. And then it says Governments, t- governance type, individual landowners, management authority, private, and all these different things. And so I'm like, okay, well, I have some more due diligence to do here. And the attorney that I would usually use was actually representing the seller. So um, I was working with another attorney that I, I like a lot, but it was a little bit out of the area and I does not deal with these types of transactions as much. So I felt like um, I was kind of battling this a little bit by myself. And then, so then I go to the IUCN, <laughs> org and the IUCN is like an international um, organization that protects ground and so they have they protect ground literally all across the entire globe and it's I mean it's a legitimate organization and so that this property is somehow categorized as a category 5 management category property into their organization so I reach out to them and I say hey what's can you tell me anything about this? Do you have any more information? And you know, like multiple people like out of office on vacation, out of office on vacation, like, well, we're supposed to close in two days. And in the meantime, um, you know, obviously we're that close to closing the title work should be done. And then I basically reach out to uh, my attorney to reach out to the seller's attorney and say like, Hey, do we have title work yet? And as you know, it is an absolute crazy time in the world of real estate. And so it was like the Wednesday before the Friday when I figured all this out. And they're like, oh, we don't have the title work done yet. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like a red flag to me. Like, what's going on? And then so then somewhat of a sleepless night as I continue to bust out a gazillion emails. Like, I'm looking at one right now. It says Congress at IUCN.org. And I actually got a reply from that. And I... Uh, basically said, Hey, my name's Jake Hofer. I have a question about the property that's currently registered with the IUCN. I'm about to be the new owner of the farm and have some urgent questions. And then I have all the different questions and I give them the ID and everything else. And then, so uh, they kick the can, I get a reply. Um, and then the common theme was, sorry, we don't have anything on this file. Sorry, we don't have anything on this file. You need to talk to so-and-so. Sorry, we don't have anything on this file. You need to go talk to so-and-so. So I started in Washington, D.C. I got kicked out to a contact in Ireland. The contact in Ireland kicked me back to a uh, office in England. And all this thing is like, why, why am I talking with so many people that are international about this parcel? And so it kept, like, I was just literally just an absolute madness. And so decided to 
push back the closing to get some answers here. In the meantime, they did finish the title work. And it's something like this, like if there is a conservation easement, typically it's recorded on the deed. Like it should be recorded on the deed. Now you're thinking, well, isn't that why you get title insurance? Well, the interesting thing about title insurance is it covers a lot of things. I guess it covers a lot of things. It, title insurance would not cover something like this. So if I bought this and all of a sudden uh, came back that there was a covenant on the property that said I couldn't do anything on the property, it was restricted. And it was not recorded on the deed, and it was an error at the courthouse. That The title insurance would not cover, not cover that. So I would be SOL. And so at that point, it's like that's even more cause of concern to get a firm answer. And so I'm still like hounding all these different people. And then they send me this database and get this. So you click the link and it's this IUCN database and it has some other link. And to order to access the database, it was $5,000. <laughs> they wanted they wanted you to pay $5,000 to get into this bogus database to basically tell you what they couldn't figure out on their own with their own database. And so in the meantime, I'm getting different answers of like, well, we can't tell you for sure if you're in the clear or what. So then I'm like, okay, well, IUCN is not going to give me any legitimate answers. I'm still doing more due diligence to figure out a, is there anything like was something missed with the deed? And so the, um, I'm continuing to reach out to literally everyone. I reached out to state biologists. They, nothing on their records. Um, I asked, well, is there anyone on, can you give me a federal contact? I get a federal contact for the state biologist for the state of Iowa and Illinois. I call him. Um, I'm, I'm out of the office for the next two days. <laughs> like, meanwhile, I'm still on a time crunch. He eventually did give me a call and he says, I can't tell you for certain, but it doesn't look like anything. And then it was kind of weird because I worked backwards. I worked at the international level and then I went to the state and then went to the federal. And then I was like, I'm going to call the county, uh, like the county NRCS office, USDA office, call them. And they're like, well, no, I don't, I don't see anything either. And so at this point, I'm getting all these no's of we don't see anything. And then eventually, the lady at the county was a huge help. Uh, she couldn't figure out anything. And then, believe it or not, all the way down to this, like, uh, the smallest level of office had all the information on the parcel. And, and the scoop was that, um, and take this with a grain of salt, basically, it was used as, it was registered at some point, And I think it was for some sort of tax break to, I think two or three owners before I bought it. And what happened was it was enrolled. It was enrolled into a, indeed a protected program. And then that protected program ran out of funding. And then uh, it basically, the protection died when the current landowner died or, you know, it was changed possession. And so that was a scoop I got. And then, okay, that made a lot more sense. But what's interesting, though, is that database wasn't updated since 2008. So it's still on the, the federal database, but there's no notes or anything. So the file was dead, good to do whatever I wanted, completely unrestricted. So we ended up closing on that parcel. But the the interesting thing is, um, like all these, I was calling a lot of people that have been in the business for a very long time. And I was like turning over all these stones. And no one had really ever heard of it. And I'm like looking at other parcels that have a similar designation that had sold recently. So I'm calling title companies like, hey, what do you know? Do you know anything about this? No, I don't really know anything. And like the long and short of it is 
probably somewhat of a of a scare, but at the same point, you can find still right now that it's has uh, this designation from the IUCN, but it, it holds no merit or weight. And then it's like you want to rely on title insurance or like, hey, this isn't this wasn't even my mistake. Why would I be uh, liable for it? And and something like this, you would be like title insurance would not cover it. You would be SOL. And there's been other transactions here locally where there's been covenants that come up um, afterward, and title insurance does cover it. But just a, a complete madhouse. And uh, you know, after we got through all that, I got multiple answers that basically said you are in the clear. And then I think once I got three people to say that, I was like, okay, I'm ready to proceed. So it got pushed back about uh, a week. And so in that week time frame, uh, did a ton of due diligence, got a lot of, uh, got a lot of education, actually got a lot of contacts and uh, it's a really cool parcel. Obviously it was protected to some level. Um, it's because it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it without <laughs> telling you exactly where the place is, but it's really, it's a really special place for a lot of reasons. Um, a lot of diversity and habitat <clears throat> in a lot of ways. And then it's just the way, uh, it's a very, I guess, topographical or geographical or however you want to say it just it's in a it's in a good location and as they say real estate there's only three things that matter location 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 and this one has a pretty darn cool location so the long and short of it is was able to buy it um i did buy one pin my folks bought the other pin and then the crazy thing of it was literally like two or three weeks later that's when the whole story of buying (laughs) the house in 40 transpired. And at the same point, I think my ego, if I would have bought the whole thing, I wouldn't have been able to buy this place. And so it's kind of a a, a cool way that it worked out that I didn't let my ego or like persona of like, Oh, I did all by myself, um, get in the way of uh, another fantastic, um, opportunity that came along and so happy that it all worked out. And, um, let alone started the zero, the year with, uh, zero acres and end in the year with a lot more and uh i'm done buying for a long time but at the same point it's just cool to get this locked up and then even more so land had seen a pretty good bump going into uh, i think we got under contract in june on that parcel and even from then i was like man this if this property was listed a year ago it would be closer to here well now even since then um i felt like i bought it uh, below market to be honest i just my just my gut feeling I might be biased just because uh, I thought it was a good deal and uh, know the area really well but at the same point it's uh, at this point it's proved to be a pretty good purchase based on what that timber track just went for recently and all the comps there's been multiple comps that have sold after closing this one that are very similar in, uh, in a lot of ways and um, the second closest parcel in terms of uh, cost is $1,400 an acre um, more than what uh scooped that up for so pretty darn happy it was uh listed in the mls anyone in the world could have bought it um but the good deals don't last long and you have to be ready to pounce on it when you see it and that's kind of what happened there and take this for a grain of salt um i'm not a 40-year veteran of real estate but at the same point um you have to learn one way and i'm uh, i'm super excited and gosh i'm even more excited for trans kind of I've always wanted to do a lot of these different projects that I just know it would help take the parcel to the next level. And to be able to do that, I'm very excited. Um, I believe Mr. Jeff Sturgis is going to be coming out at the end of May to put plans together for both these farms and uh, really excited. The 
For my belt in August, there's two really solid bucks I would love to shoot. Um, they're not necessarily spending a ton of time on that parcel. The uh, There's been a couple homebody bucks, and I could have shot all of those, so that's hopeful um, as we improve that parcel and get the next age class of bucks to hopefully spend time on that parcel. I think they're going to be in trouble because, like I said, the, the ones that have called at home, uh, I've had walk within 20 yards of where my setups are, so I think it's only going to get better, and uh, it's just... Uh, got a lot to be thankful for it's been a wonderful year and uh, hopefully this ramble opens up just a little bit of thought of like if i were like go to MapRite or go to this iucn website and try to find these different locations that are had some level of protection i don't it's so hard to say what that meant and it's like had a designated name and then i'm looking at these other locations and it's like to to put it in perspective, a country club is considered IUCN protection. And like, um, there's a lot of different places that like a, a campground is considered a lot of times if it's registered IUCN, um, protection. So I'm looking like, what just madness. And the, the other thing is like the deed kind of trumps all in a lot of ways, as long as it's done properly and recorded properly. And so that was the question I'd always ask people like, well, well, is it on the deed? And I was like, well, no, but here's the issue. If it, if it's supposed to be on the deed and it's not, and somehow it comes back to where it is on the deed, SOL, like major, major mistake if that works that way. So really, um, really learned a lesson. I'm really, to be completely honest, I'm glad it was, um, myself and not representing the client. Cause that would have been, um, a whole other layer of stress. Cause it's like, I'm trying to help these help people uh, have smooth transactions. And then this one turned into a quite an interesting uh, ordeal. So regardless, um, the land podcast host now has land. <laughs> so I felt that was kind of fun too. But uh, all this happened this past year and um, very thankful and very happy. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your deer season. We're going to be back to regular scheduled programming. And in terms of uh, I guess going through kind of some, some of the same questions that I asked other guests uh, in terms of how did I finance this? I went to a single branch local bank that um, I already bank with already and I talked to them. I did shop around a little bit and to be completely honest, their rate was a little bit higher, but at the same point, the relationship of an ease to work with was about as easy as it gets. I think I only had to fill out like a handful. There was not a lot of hoops to jump through in terms of what other lenders would have made you do. And, um, that banker basically went up to bat for me and, um, was a a great negotiator beyond myself in terms of, uh, kind of setting the cadence and and cracking the whip and making sure everything went smooth. Cause there was a point too, when all this was unraveling very close to the closing day, he's like, Hey, I don't, I don't really even feel comfortable lending on this right now because all of a sudden if this place is completely restricted and you can't do anything, it's worth a lot less. And I don't like as a bank, we don't want to be upside down on this. And I was like, well, I completely agree. So he was pulling strings on it. And I think that in the world, there's a lot of people that just kick the can down the road. And there's some people that uh, stand up to the occasion and and help see a deal through. And that was exactly what this bank did. And I'm very thankful and happy to, uh, to have had them in the corner for this transaction. So, um, did a, um, note with them and trying to think here, some of the other things that considered 
that big things that were in this parcel was that it was a very affordable piece of ground. It was uh, priced very low because it's uh, not as desirable for a lot of people and a lot of different reasons. But for me, it checked off a lot of the boxes um, that was next to big ag. It had a lot of south facing slopes with a lot of potential cover. It has strong quality of bucks in the area. I think that the way the terrain is, a lot of the bucks are going to make it to a deeper age class. And that's kind of what I've seen with the cameras versus more flat ground. And I'm trying to think here, what else? Just uh, sometimes you get a gut feeling. And sometimes when you're, this was, uh, before I moved, this was very, very close to where I lived. And it's still uh, under 15 minutes. But at the same point, it was close to home, which was another important thing for me. And yeah, just uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty darn happy. And uh, I'm I'm even more excited to see what this place produces in the next couple of years. And I think that it's uh, it's an area that could produce some top caliber whitetails, based on a lot of things. And once that giant deer dies, I'll I'll share it. I think I don't know. We'll see. So, anyways, we're gonna be back to regular schedule programming here very shortly as season kind of wraps up. If you would love to share your first land purchase or any land information or you listen to this and like land a lot um reach out to me um you can go to the link tree find out a way to get a hold of me you can find my cell phone number and then um this is actually somewhat of a a spin of advice of people that have reached out like man we'd love to hear the stories that get a little get a little screwy well here's one it's from your yours truly uh, it's one that i experienced it was a very it was just a, it was a roller coaster of emotions of trying to figure out what the heck to do this at this time this was the very first piece of ground I ever bought and uh, it was like um, very nerve-wracking to try to figure out if I if this place was protected or not but it was not and uh, don't be afraid to don't be afraid to call I'll say this too when I talk to those biologists too they're both very nice and very helpful and one of them even sent a aerial photo of this farm from like 1930 or 1929 which i thought was really cool so regardless sometimes these um wild goose chases get you in connection with some really cool people so anyhow i've been rambling way too long this is the story of my first year at my farm and how um Putting your ego to the side can allow for more opportunities down the road. Until next time, see you guys. Take care. Good luck.